Good morning. morning. And we do welcome you here to All Saints today. Um, Sorry that Dennis could not be here. I hope that you aren't necessarily so, but um, he is away. I don't know how many of you have ever done any street preaching before. Is there anybody who's ever done that here? I have. It is the scariest thing you can ever do. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful act of faith and proclamation of the truth. And uh, I have seen God work even in that kind of situation. But we're here today to look to the Lord and to look to His Word. Some of you may wonder, does He ever preach anything besides Psalms? I did a series on Psalms here in Sunday school, and then this summer I preached from Psalm 139. I did that because Dennis made a reference to Psalm 139 in his series on Hebrews. Today we're looking at Psalm 42 because that was the scripture reading a few weeks ago for another sermon from Hebrews chapter 6. And so what I'm trying to do is actually to complement Uh, what he is doing, and and so there is some connectivity, and I'm coming in with a one-off sermon and and, uh, just preaching something I want to preach. I'm trying to be in connection with him. So I trust that you will see that, and the New Testament reading today fits so wonderfully with uh, the text, talking about groaning. You ever groan? Talking about hope. Do you need hope? We're going to talk about that. And so for our scripture reading today, please turn in your scriptures to Psalm 42 and 43. It's on page 649 in the Bible, in your pew, 649. And keep your Bible open during the entire sermon. Uh, You'll need to have your eyes glued to the Word of God because it doesn't matter what I say, but it doesn't matter what God says. So here to the choir master, a masquil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do you go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, the one who loves us with a steadfast love, the one who comes with us, to us, with his truth, with his love. Lord, send to us today your word. Be with my mind and my mouth. Help me to be an encouragement to your people. Help me to capture the spirit of the psalmist. And may we cling to the God of hope, the God of our lives. May, Father, this be a day of being honest with ourselves, more importantly, looking to you. And so we commit this message, this service, this time of reflection to you and your glory. And it's in your wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Recently I came across a book by Alan Alda. I don't know how many of you might know the name of Alan Alda. He's an actor. He was known for being a doctor on the series, the TV series, MASH. He's a guy who made me laugh. And when I came across his book, I thought, this looks interesting. Here's the title, Things I Overheard While Talking to Myself. Don't you love that? I laughed out loud when I saw it. Things I Overheard While Talking to Myself. You know, I, I, uh, I laughed out loud because I talk to myself a lot. But I wouldn't put it down in a book. But this book intrigued me because I've been doing some research here on Psalm 42 and 43 for the message today. 
And uh, there's an expression here where he is expressing his soul. My soul is used seven times here in the passage. But as you read this psalm, the writer is talking to himself, but he's sharing it with us. He's being open and honest. In the case of the psalmist, however, we discover that this man is discouraged, he is disappointed, and he is depressed. Now, on the other side, let me assure you very quickly, yes, he believes God. Yes, he loves God. Yes, he trusts God. But he finds himself in the pit of despair. I would ask for a show of hands of how many of you ever found yourself there, but I didn't want to see us looking like a, maybe a, a different kind of congregation, waving our hands so much. Because I think we all go through that. Our struggles usually center on some great disappointment, the loss of a job, or maybe a personal failure, a nagging problem, a health issue, or family matter that just doesn't seem to ever get resolved. And when these burdens begin to overwhelm us, we tend to look for answers in the form of a therapist, a pill, comfort foods. By the way, I really love ice cream. That's my comfort food along with a lot of others. Shopping, sleeping, shutting ourselves off from others. But those escapes, generally speaking, either mask the problem or make it worse. Going back a few years again in my mind, because after all, I am an old man, singer Karen Carpenter was a person who battled depression. Her hit, Rainy Days and Mondays Always Get Me Down, was a haunting song. It was made popular by the fact that the listeners could identify with the lyrics and the emotions of that song. I can still hear in my mind her rich and resonant voice whispering, talking to myself and feeling old. Sometimes I'd like to quit. Nothing ever seems to fit. Hanging around, nothing to do but frown. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. What I've got, they used to call the blues. Nothing is really wrong. Feeling like I don't belong. Walking around, some kind of lonely clown. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. Hmm. Remember that song for some of you? You like that song? The lyrics are lousy. They're real. They're true. And Monday's coming tomorrow. I hope it's not a rainy day. But it paints a hopeless picture. We can almost feel that as we read Psalm 42 and 43. But that is not really the case. Depression and discouragement can touch any life, even the lives of godly men and women like the psalmist, or like Moses, or like David, or like Elijah, or the apostles Peter or Paul, all of whom went through times of despair and the darkness of it. The real question is, what should you do? What should I do when I find myself, you find yourself wallowing in such darkness? The author of Psalm 42 and 43 allows us to explore the heart of a soul of someone who is spiritually depressed. These two psalms, though separate in our modern text, are bound together in several ways. That's why I've read them together. I want you to see them together. Because together they put together the picture. 
For instance, in a number of Hebrew manuscripts, the old Hebrew manuscripts, the two are actually combined into a single psalm. They've been separated, the, these, these stanzas, perhaps for liturgical purposes. Note, too, that while the Psalm 42 has a heading, that it's to the choir, mass, uh, to, uh, to the choir master, a maskeel for the sons of Korah, uh, Psalm 43 doesn't have a heading. You say, so what? There's other psalms like that, aren't there? Well, in book two of the psalms, there's only one that doesn't have that later on. It's Psalm 71. Then you find key words, phrases repeated in each of the psalms indicating a common thread. For instance, the word why echoes through the two psalms seven times. Why, 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 why? Of course, you've probably never asked that question in your mind, have you? And then there's the taunts of evil men, such as what you hear from the enemies of God in every generation. Where's God? You talk about God. I don't see God. I mean, God wasn't there when my spouse died or when this happened or that happened in my life. Where's God? And more importantly, the themes of these two psalms are inseparably linked, as evidenced by the nearly identical refrains found in each of them. You'll find it in 42.5 and 42.11, and then again in 43.5, you've got this repeated refrain. So I'm treating these together. And this repetitive refrain marks the end of each stanza of this particular song, far better than Karen Carpenter's, providing us three windows into the soul of this man. You've got an outline there in your bulletin if you want to take any notes or just simply listen. But do follow your Bible carefully. So we're going to see here a part soul thirsting for God in Psalm 42, verses 1 to 5. Then we're going to hear a crushed soul overwhelmed by his troubles. Verses 6 through 11 in Psalm 42. And finally, Psalm 43 we will find a wayward soul who is seeking for direction and deliverance. And in each of these sections, the writer will address his emotions, and then he will address God or us, and finally himself. The song was written, as it says at the top there, or arranged maybe. Uh, my skill uh, was uh, part of a musical terminology but the sons of Korah, they were men of the house of Levi involved in the worship of God. And later on, King David appointed these men to provide music for worship. So let's take a glance through these windows and listen to the lyrics for a few minutes. I think that you'll benefit from the tune that you hear. We will see this man wrestling within his soul with some deeply emotional issues and times in his life. I hope will encourage you. So first, let's take a look at a part soul thirsting for God. 42, 1 to 5. Look at verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, if you stop there and isolate that verse, 
Shouldn't that be the heartbeat of every child of God, someone who loves God, who's passionate for God? Shouldn't we have a thirst for God to know Him better, to walk with Him, to drink from the living waters that He provides? But remember, there's a context. Let's put that in the context. The image he uses here is that of a deer wandering in the desert, perhaps stalked by an enemy, panting with exhaustion, weary from the chase. Likewise, so also this man, the landscape of his soul is hot and dry. This drought in verses 1 through 5 is a long way from the green pastures and the quiet waters of Psalm 23. In this faraway place, his parched spirit, he is that way because uh, there's no sense of the refreshing presence of the Lord for which he longs. He needs living water from the living God. His life is a mess right now. He needs the living God. Now, the situation is aggravated by two questions, or two factors, revealed in two questions. One is when, the other is where. The when is in verse 2, latter part. When shall I come and appear before God? The where is in verse 3 at the end. Where is your God? One question is asked by the writer, the when. The other, the where, is asked by outsiders. What's behind the questions? That will help us to solve part of the puzzle here. The first question shows that this has been a long ordeal. When, when, when will this end? When will I find something better? The writer himself wonders if he will ever again know God's presence and blessing as he has in the past. He's fallen from somewhere. He's moved from somewhere. Something has happened. His mind drifts back, though, to another time, another place, when things were different. Look at verse 4. These things I remember. Here's something he treasures. And this is why it says there, as I pour out my soul. I'm remembering something. I remember what I had, and I don't have it now. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Can't you hear the lilt in his voice, the joy as he remembers and looks back? He remembers the good old days, the better times, filled with happier memories, all spent with a people of God in praise of God. He misses corporate worship. How are you during covid during a few weeks. By the way, that'll tell you a lot about your spiritual temperament and temperature. Do you long to come into these courts of the Lord? Do you long to be here? He was looking for that. He's being denied that. Why? What's going on here? You see, all, all, all of that joy in that one verse is now quickly negated in a sigh of despair in verse 2. When shall I come and appear before God? Will I ever know such joy again of worship together with God's people? Those kind of words make me wonder, what, what's going on here? Is he on a long journey somewhere? Maybe he's on vacation. No, I don't think so. Has he been taken prisoner by an enemy? Hmm, that's of interest. Or maybe, maybe he is in exile. 
Various writers have put different ideas on here. Some think it's David when the ark came back to Jerusalem. I find that one a little hard to believe. Uh, David when Absalom came and took over the kingdom and he was taken out. That's, that's a little more uh, possible in my thinking. But it doesn't say David wrote it. It says the sons of Korah did. Maybe they were taken into exile and this was on the death march, so to speak. Going to a foreign land, leaving Jerusalem. Whatever it is, the truth is he finds himself in hostile surroundings. I mean, just listen to the taunts of those around him in that second question again. And I read it with maybe the inflection that was given. Where's your God? Where's your God? Insult is added to misery. You worship God, so where is him when you need him the most? Now, this is not an isolated comment. It's not someone just passing by, hey, you know God? Where's God? No. It says continually, continually. Later on, all day long, he's hearing this. The tormentors are taunting him with it. Oh, your God didn't save you, did he? We've ripped you out of Jerusalem. We're taking you back to us. Maybe you can learn about our God. Look around you. Where is God? You are all alone. 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 Does this affect him? The affect this man? Sure. Look at the first part of verse 3. As a result, it says, My tears have been my food day and night. Now, I, I want you here to read between the lines because by reading the words carefully, you can understand what's going on inside this man and outside this man. Three things are evident from his statement when he says, my tears have been my food day and night. First, he's emotionally stretched because he's given to tears. He's given to tears. He, he just can't stop weeping. He keeps wiping his face and his eyes as, as he, he looks ahead and looks back at Jerusalem and what has happened? Why? He isn't eating very well. He says, my tears have been my food. Have you ever been so distraught you just can't eat? Sleep escapes him. He says, this, this is going on, going through his mind day and night as it echoes in his mind. As he lies there in the darkness with his head on the pillow, his tears flowing, wondering, where is God? You can't get much more vivid than that. You can't get much more real than that. John Stott notes this. These, men, these then were the causes of his depression of soul, the absence of God to comfort him and the presence of men who mocked him. But to his credit, to his credit, the writer determined not to flounder in his misery as real as it was. Rather than pity himself, he examines himself. He forces himself to face the situation openly and honestly. He's open about his own feelings. And he says here, look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Here is that frank admission of his own pain, but immediately he tells himself what he needs to hear. 
you know, talking to myself and feeling old and feeling all these other. No, no, no. He's talking to himself, but he said, okay, I admit I'm this way, but verse 5, letter part, underline it every time you see it in these two Psalms. Hope in God. Hope in God. In other words, the unchanging God is my only hope in my changing circumstances. I'll say it again. The unchanging God is my only hope in my changing circumstances. You may not ever be able to change your circumstance, but there's a God who does not change, who remains ever faithful to watch over you. The memory of his communion with and the worship of God in verse 4 is what brings on this comfort and hope, keeping his focus on what is true. That had happened. That, that happened. In the, I know that is true. I know God is true. I know God is faithful. I'm going to hang on to God during this time in my life. And so he confidently asserts, look at verse 5, the very last part, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There will come a moment that God will bring deliverance. He is my salvation. He is my God. They talk about your God. Yes, he is my God. I embrace him. And so I ask you, any of you here today, please don't raise a hand. Please don't answer. It's a rhetorical question. But has the landscape of your life become a desert? Have you lost your joy in knowing God, in reading His Word, in hearing the preaching of His Word? Does God seem distant to you in any way? I have felt that way many times over 73 years of my life. This man cries out, I am desperately thirsting for God. Are you? Are you? So, end of stanza. Problem solved, right? Oh, wait, there's another stanza. So, good, we got this solved. This should be really uplifting now. So let's come and see and hear a crushed soul overwhelmed by trouble in verses 6 through 11. He begins the second stanza of his doleful song on another note of discouragement. He said, my soul is cast down within me. Now, he had just said, verse 5, why are you cast down? It is cast down. This is a battle. This is a struggle within me. This isn't just surface emotions. His feelings are running deep. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, look at verse 6, therefore, I quit. I walk away. I give up. No, therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazar, he feels distant. Is God distant? If we take this literally, what's being said here, and I do, this man finds himself far to the northeast, many, many, many miles away 
perhaps as much as been estimated as 130 miles away from Jerusalem, where he once worshipped with joy. Here, he pauses at Mount Mizar. We don't know where that is. The, the word means little mountain, but it's part of the uh, range with Mount Hermon. And so here he is there, and he catches a glimpse, perhaps, as he looks back of the hills of Judea in the distance. He misses his spiritual home, Jerusalem. That's the dwelling place of God. That's God's chosen dwelling place. And he doesn't seem to have it. He's despondent. And at this point, he introduces another image or symptom of his ailing soul. Look at verse 7. In this faraway place, he cries out, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers, your waves have gone over me. These aren't the flowing streams of verse 1, are they? He is on that journey. He comes to a place up in the mountains, and there are waterfalls, there are breakers, there are waves. These are images that normally would refresh us. That's why we like to go to a place where there's a babbling brook. Why we like to go to a place where we're, we're seeing a rippling stream, a beautiful waterfall, a sunny beach with all of its waves. Kathy and I were just at the beach for 10 days with 11 of our grandchildren. You can pray for us as we recover. I'm kidding. But we were jumping in the waves. We were splashing in the tide pools, building sandcastles, riding a kayak in the ocean. We were, we were doing all sorts of things. It should be a fun place. He should be taking photographs. But he's not. When life is turned inside out, even good things can take on a different look and feel. These waterfalls, these torrents, these rocks, the canyons he's walking through give him no relief. They stir up different emotions. They symbolize calamities. They're threatening. There's danger here. Will I survive this? Everything's come. It's also, he says here, comes crashing down upon him. Wave after wave of trouble crashes against him, throwing him off balance. And I want you to notice something, though, back in verse 7. Look at the triple reference to a pronoun, your. Who's the you and the your? It's God. There's something here where he realizes that this is all in the hands of God. I may not like it. It may not be easy. But this is God's creation, and this is where he has placed me. If this is a time of captivity, exile, maybe the journey reminds him of the failures of the nation and the sins of the nation. Maybe something in his own life that he's looking at too. I've failed as well in all of this. Is this God's hand of judgment? He cries out in despair as his soul is flooded and he sinks into the depths of sorrow. The song is gone, drowned out by the sound of the waterfalls there and the crashing thunders of the waves. And here's an interesting insight into the passage. Psalm 42.7 is quoted verbatim in Jonah 2.3 as Jonah runs from God and is thrown into the depths of the sea. There Jonah cries out, as the psalmist did, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. Here it comes. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Hebrew is the same here. 
Here too in 42 is a soul adrift in a sea of emotional turmoil like Jonah. Jonah can identify with him. Maybe you can identify. No wonder then with all this water, all this danger, what does he cry out in verse 9? Look at this. He cries out for God to be his what? Rock. Something to grab with all the torrents when you're overwhelmed. Something to hold on to, to cling to, rather than go down into the flood. And while all this is swirling about him, he still finds himself hounded by oppressors, verse 9 says. Those who taunt his faith. There's an interesting connection here, too. Because the original word here for oppressor, for oppressor is also used of the Egyptian bondage, Exodus 3, nine. Uh, there's a sense that this is so hard. He's under oppression. He needs deliverance. We'll see that in a bit. Verse 10 adds this. As with a deadly wound in my bones. That word deadly describes the crushing wound. A crushing wound. And that's going to be significant. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where's your God? You see, his wounded soul feels the sharpness of the criticism more keenly than ever. And quite honestly, the man feels forsaken by God because look here uh, in verse 9 again. Look back there. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now the oddity of this, the amazing thing about this, that if you go back to verse 6, isn't it interesting that although the writer remembers God, now he questions and struggles and feels as if God has forgotten him. I'm remembering you, God. Man, this is a battle, isn't it? Though all of this is difficult, yet he wrestles with himself and confronts himself once again. Here is that refrain we've heard before. Look at verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Let me say something that some of you may not be comfortable with. Strong faith and deep despair are not always mutually exclusive. Strong faith and deep despair are not always Mutually exclusive. Here's a godly man, a good man. He loves God, clings to God, but he's struggling. Always be honest enough with yourself to know when you're struggling, but also know where to turn, where the answer really lies. And I say this, I'm not, I'm not criticizing this man, I'm identifying with him. And, and if he had lost faith, he wouldn't have prayed as he did and continues to do all through this psalm. He's saying the right things to himself. He's admitting the right things and he's saying the right things. So this man cries out here, not only thirsting for God, I am clinging to God. God is my rock in this time when everything else is bowling me over. All right, so let's look into window three. Stanza three, a wayward soul seeking for direction and deliverance. In this third stanza, which carries us here into Psalm 43, we find the psalmist once more crying out 
to God in his need. He cries out, look at verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. He is pleading for God to step in to do something, to justify him, to vindicate him, to deliver him. Because he's surrounded. See how they're, this is, he's not in church. <laughs> he's not among God's people. Because he describes here as ungodly, deceitful, unjust. But they appear to be in control. They appear to be calling the shots. Maybe that's why this is a march on an exile. And though he cries out to God for help, he admits his innermost feelings again here in verse 2. Why have you rejected me? You've forsaken me. You've rejected me. It feels that way, God. Aren't you glad when you can be honest with God? Be honest with Him, though. This is brutal honesty on his part. And he's transparent with God, and yet still he is not without faith and hope. In fact, now Psalm 43 is filled with greater expectation than the other two. Note his next request. This is in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. It's like saying, God... Everything is so dark, and I've lost my way. Truth has been trampled under the feet of the ungodly. I need you to guide me by your light and by your truth. Notice that there is an underlying confidence that God will bring him through all this mess. And when that happens, this weary man says, I make you a promise. Verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Now, you would have thought, this guy has no joy at all. But he finds his joy in one place. God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Through God I will triumph. In God I will taste joy once again. And my heart will offer praise to my God. And he closes with his now familiar refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. And so he says, not only am I thirsting, not only am I clinging to God, I am trusting in God. I am resting in God. Now, I don't know if you've been following along your Bible. I told you to. Did I miss anything? One verse. I left out one verse. Go back to Psalm 42, 8. And I take you back there now because this central verse within the psalm, if you're looking at a chiastic structure, here's the centerpiece of this psalm. Here's where the foundation of his faith and hope lies. How is he able to survive, even with all the turmoil inside of him? How is he able to survive, to, to move forward, to cling, and to trust in God when life can be so hard and the enemy so many? I want you to highlight in your mind and the Bible the light and truth of Psalm 42.8. By day, the Lord 
commands his steadfast love. And by night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Okay, let me point out something to you. We've read a lot about God in this passage. I encourage you in the further notes of study in there. Go through and just see everything's mentioned about God. A lot of mention about God. Did you notice the, the name Yahweh was never mentioned except for right here at the core? This, this is part of book two, by the way. In book two, book one of Psalms, one through 41, the name Yahweh is highlighted over and over. But when you come to book two, it's Elohim, it's God. He talks more about God with that name, and Yahweh is subdued for whatever reason. But here in this psalm, it highlights something very important. Because in calling him Lord, what, this is the first time the covenant name is used of the one who promises, the one who is, the one who cares and delivers us and his own. What does he know about the Lord? What does he know about Yahweh? Well, he knows this. Look, look in verse 8. What, what do we know about him? He has what kind of love? Steadfast love. He's always there. He will never fail. He will never fail you if you're God's child. Either by day or by night. Did you notice that? Day and night. God was with him. In the daytime, it was hard. What he was here, and at night, he was trying to just live with himself. But God was always there in the whole situation. That's why this man can sing and pray confidently, knowing that there is a loving, covenant-keeping God. This true and living God is also, look at the end of verse 8 now, and I love this. He is the God of my life. The God of my life. He's the fountain from which you drink when your soul thirsts. He's the rock to which you cling when the floods threaten to overwhelm you. He's the light in which you walk when darkness overtakes your soul. And I could end the sermon right there, but I've got three more minutes. I'm going to take it because that's not the end of my sermon. You see, we we could do all that, but here's here's the point. That was then. This is now. So what? I mean, is is this really true for me? That's centuries ago. That's millennia ago. These psalms are not about self-help. Let me just tell you that right off. This is not about self-help. But it's about the real help and hope that come from the living God. And how do I know? How do I know? How do you know that this God is my God, your God, Today, that I am the object of his steadfast love today, that he is both the living God and the God of my life here and now, as verse 8 says. Has he sent out his light and his truth for me and for you, as it was prayed in Psalm 43 3? You see, when the psalmist put down his pen at the end of verse 5 in, in, in Psalm 43, uh, He was waiting. He's prayed, but we don't know what the answer was. 
For God, when he said, send your light, God did. That's, the psalmist here was waiting, but we see more clearly, and let me tell you why, God sent the light and the truth through Jesus Christ, his son. We read in the opening verses of John's gospel, in him, that is, in the one who was the word made flesh, who dwelt among us, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus later said himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And Jesus was only the light. God sent him to be the truth for the world. John also writes in his opening words of the gospel, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and what? Grace and, anybody know? Truth. Grace and, grace and truth. Jesus himself would affirm it. I am the way. I am the Truth, I'm the life. No man will come to the Father except by me. But to pave that way to God, for that truth to be declared, to free us by the truth, Jesus had to endure the affliction, the pain, the sorrow of sin, while enemies of the truth taunted him. Isaiah had prophesied he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one who hid their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Have you ever seen that word before, the message today? He was crushed for our iniquities. See, as Christians, we follow a Savior who himself felt like this psalmist in Psalm 42.5. He too was mocked and rejected by God's enemies. And I want you to listen to Jesus' voice because something that you may not know, Jesus borrowed from Psalm 42. He borrowed as he shared his own agony of his soul. Only hours before his death, Jesus shared his heart with his disciples saying in Matthew 26, 38, my soul my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul trouble. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose in this hour I've come. Hebrews 4.15, if you remember our pastor preaching this, tells us that we have not a high priest who cannot sympathize with our feelings of our weaknesses and sorrows in the flesh. No. We have a, a God who came to where we were, who went through the suffering, the taunting, the torture, the crucifixion, the death for us to deliver us, for He is our God and our salvation. He is the God of our life. Jesus even felt forsaken, even as this man did by His Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the Father raised him from the dead to vindicate his Son and to deliver his people, to deliver me and you. And therefore, in this dark world today, we too have a sure hope. We must hope in God and nothing else. And that hope looks to the day when we will gather and praise our 
God and his salvation of us. And this God who is our exceeding joy, as the psalmist said, will bring us to his holy hill, his dwelling place to be with him. And so let each one of us keep thirsting, clinging, trusting to our God. And as Hebrews 6 expresses it, as this was the psalm read when he preached, Dennis preached Hebrews 6, to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Stay steadfast because my steadfast love is with you. So let us remember the covenant-keeping God. Let us remember the cross. Let us remember the joy that is set before us now, put there by our Savior, and to Him be the glory. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank You that the Scripture is so honest with us about ourselves. We also thank You that You in your grace and mercy, are with us even when we struggle. But Lord, help our struggles not to overcome us, but may we, by your grace, continually say to ourselves, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. He is our unchanging hope in a changing world. So, Lord, send forth your light and your truth on this day. May it minister to our hearts. May it comfort us. May it strengthen us. May it help us in our walk with you. And this we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.